summer silly season and uh of course we have a lot to talk about and and there is no one sillier that i could think of to bring on uh than the one the only jeremy cohen uh jeremy are you feeling silly on this um what is it sunday at about six o'clock absolutely i am (laughs) i'm a silly sally let's uh yeah (laughs) the earnestness with which you respond to my questions, no matter how stupid they are, um, or asinine or whatever, it never ceases to amaze me. And um, yeah, man, that's that's why you're the man. That's why you're that's why you're silly Sally. Um, so we have a lot of, of actual real um, news to talk about. I shouldn't say news. We we have a lot of rumors to talk about, which which is I think that's the opposite of news. Um, but a lot of stuff. Let's just say that. Um, before we get to it, though, I, I kind of just wanted to touch briefly on because um, I know you have thoughts on it, and I have thoughts on it. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I, I would, I didn't want to let the opportunity go without without at least touching on it. <sighs> After the Knicks fell to third, um, or I shouldn't even say fell to third. After the Knicks got the third pick, which they were not statistically likely to get, they were at a worse chance of getting fourth or fifth, or a better chance of getting fourth or fifth. Um, I wasn't surprised by the LOL Knicks narrative because you knew it was coming, but what I felt like we had turned a corner and I don't want to like, um, get into politics because then everybody will stop listening. But I thought it's interesting that in this age now that we've reached where, where real, real things no longer matter, right? Like facts don't matter. Um, it's just, you know, I'll say something. Um, and I'm going to say it and I'm going to, uh, there will be people who will listen to me and they will believe me because I said it. Um, I, it felt like after the, the lottery, we reached that point with sports news because it was like people were acknowledging, yes, they had a 14% chance to win it, but what a bunch of ass clowns. And, um, of course this happened to the Knicks and then so on and so forth. I just, did that annoy you? Did you have the same thought that I, I just wanted to get your, your take on it. This wasn't something that the Knicks could do. This was completely out of their hands. If if there was a decision that the Knicks had to make and they completely screwed it up, I'd get it. I'd be like, all right, that's warranted. But we're talking about pure luck, lottery ping pong balls that determine the fate of a franchise that no one really has any control over. The Knicks did their part. They already lost as many games as they could. They finished with the worst record. But... I got the overwhelming sense that instead of people focusing on the fact that the Knicks actually got a draft pick lower than the average amount, by that I mean uh, Tankathon has all the average percentages, and the Knicks are at 3.7, and simple math tells me that 3 is less than 3.7, which in this case (laughs) is actually greater. We, We did a better job here. So, yes, I thought it's crazy to me how... 14%, 14%, and we all knew it. We were excited for the idea of Zion. It's not like we're the only ones photoshopping him in jerseys. We were excited for Zion to come to New York because why wouldn't you be? Yeah. But I think the vast, vast majority of us know that 14% does not equal 100% or even 50%. We knew the odds. Uh, so when I saw that other teams fell so much further than the Knicks, yes, and yeah. especially when there's that top three, they talk about you know Zion and then a couple other guys and the rest of the field, I think, yeah, having the third overall pick, basically getting either John Moran or R.J. Barrett, I will gladly take that compared to whatever the Bulls, the Suns, the Cavs have to go through in their whole draft process. Yeah, and, and you know, we even saw it come out um, yesterday that the Cavs are potentially really interested in, in R.J. Barrett. Well, guess what? Now if they want R.J. Barrett, they have to make a trade. Um, I just... it. You know, nothing should surprise me anymore with with the coverage of the team, but that it surprised me a little bit 
um, because and and I'm not saying it, it, I, it's not okay to point out the obvious, which is that every Nick fan was disappointed. Of course, we were disappointed. It's it's again, like you said, we wanted Zion, um, but to to have to draw conclusions um, on the process by which they undertook uh, this season. Because um, to, to me, like if they had gotten the fifth pick, it's like all right. First pick, third pick, fifth pick. Would it change a single thing that they did this year? Would it change a single thing that they did last summer? Um, and the answer is no. And it's like that's all Knicks fans have ever wanted, to, to have a team that from a process standpoint is doing the right things, and that's what they got. And, and you know, there, there's a way to turn it around. And Ugh, God. It's, it, I'm sorry. I, I had to, I was, this is my rant. Um, the, you could rant later if you want. Um, so let's talk oh, about <laughs> let's talk about Anthony Davis. Um, and I want to start with this, and I texted it to you earlier, and, and you've had a little while to think about it. Um, a lot of people, when they hear about the idea of trading for AD, and we'll get into some of the specifics with the dollar figures and all that, but putting that aside for a second, I think what scares a lot of people away from, from the idea of moving this pick and a whole bunch of other stuff for him is memories of Melo. And the Mellow trade, and even if you like Mellow as a player, I think everybody could agree that that, that trade did not go down, um, ideally, in terms of the trade itself and then the situation the Knicks in, were in at the time and, and other ramifications. Do you th- How similar do you think this would be to um, the Mellow situation? Or do you think it depends, I guess, on what they give up? Where do you, where do you stand on that? I currently stand where my preference is not to have a supposed big three. Okay. I would live with it. I'd be at the end of the day, I would certainly come around to it, but there's something about it where it is a little concerning to have three guys who pretty much all would need the ball in their hands. I know they could work together on it, but I'm sure you're losing depth there and it's just really not my go-to plan. That God said, damn it, you stole my friggin' point that I was going to make <laughs> in like 20 minutes. You know, you're a son of a bitch. All right, keep going. But so not to get too far ahead as I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, that. let's get – we'll get into it right now. I, th- I think it's a great point. The thing with Melo, and I understand why people are concerned, Anthony Davis is a much better player now than Carmelo Anthony was when he was acquired. Which, by the way, people... which, by the way, is not a slight to Melo. Not that, at all. Not at it's, all. It's, it, it just shows that Anthony Davis is one of the premier two-way superstars in this league. And when yes. you have the opportunity to get one of those guys, you do it. And we'll talk about Anthony Davis in terms of his health, but I think that's actually very overblown. And it, the fun fact, actually, is through their first six seasons, if you were to compare Melo and Anthony Davis – Carmel Anthony played 445 games, I believe. Do you know how many Anthony Davis played? I I mean, off the top of my head, I know there was that one season where he had, like, it was, I think, his second year. He had some kind of legitimate um, health issue that kept him out a while. But that's the only, I think that's the only big one. How many How many is it? 410. Wow. Which is okay. only 35 off. That's not bad at all. And so, like I said, we'll get more into that, but I I think that people are petrified because of that one trade where the Knicks kind of bid against themselves, whereas here they would be bidding against other teams. It just feels like a very different situation. And then there's also the prisoner, um, this prisoner mentality of because Anthony Davis isn't in the playoffs, maybe his value is lower or um, the homegrown attachment, but... I think that it's a very different situation to Melo in that he's just a better player. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. He's a better player. I I think that's – so for me, it's like there's a tie for like the biggest difference. That's one of them. And and again, just to, to spell this out, Carmelo Anthony was – when they got him, you could argue that he was the best scorer in the league. Um, and – Putting aside whether or not the Knicks maybe used him as well as he could have been used, um, I don't think the fact that you could argue that is is undisputed. And he was, you know, he could play make a little bit, but he was at his best. Um, you know, an average. Would you have called him an average defender? Is that you know, if that? Let's yeah. Just, yeah. Meh. Eh. 
great offense, which could sometimes overcompensate until it couldn't, and then it was a problem. Yeah, and that was that's the other thing with Melo is there was a there was a, a dark side to Melo where him doing his ISO thing, which again that that was part of the Melo package, whether you wanted it to be or not, it was always going to be part of the package. That actually you know was a slippery slope in which you're diminishing returns. Um, got real bad real fast if, if he was in a game where he just wasn't feeling it. You don't have that situation with Anthony Davis, but the bigger difference for me is he could be the anchor of the best defense in the league if he's used properly. Um, and he was voted uh, third in the Defensive Player of the Year um, voting. It was just two years ago. So it's it's not like this was a long time ago. He's still, what we just turned 26. The big difference for me, though, is the situation the team was in then versus the situation the team was in now. Because by completing that mellow trade, that was it. Like, that was your team. You know, they, they got Chauncey, and they... And it, again, I know they ended up um, amnestying Chauncey to sign Tyson. But, like, there was no other huge move to be made. It was essentially you were building your team around Carmelo Anthony and Mars Stoudemire you know, a top 10-ish player in the league and a top 15-ish player in the league when healthy. The situation here is obviously very different such that not only is there the potential to round out Anthony Davis with two other guys, and we'll get to the big three-point that you made a second ago um, in a minute, but it's not only that it's, it's, it's a potential thing that could happen. It, by trading for Anthony Davis, it makes that more likely to happen. And, and to me, that's the, the biggest thing. Yeah, I think it's also people are really worried he's going to walk. And I get it. When you're not under contract, anything can happen. You know, there's like, well, what if they don't mesh? What if he really wants to go to L.A.? What if? What if? I understand all of that. But you also have to understand Anthony Davis. He's finally going to be in a big market. He's going to be in a completely different conference. He'd be in arguably or he'd be with arguably the best player in the NBA in Kevin Durant a lot of the things that he would want would be right there and if other teams are in positions where they can't financially sign him granted it's also such a weird free agency year where it's basically just him that making any upgrades has to come in the form of trades and so it's not that other teams can't do that it's just this is kind of laying the groundwork for the next four years. And when we get more into the trade, I'd love to talk about the financial aspects of what that means for other teams, specifically the Knicks, but just in general, how that, how the free agency classes affect what New York might want to do. Yeah, and the, the only other let's, – let's get there in a minute. I want to touch on the big three thing that you brought up because I, I wrote something um, – I actually, it's funny. I wrote it in regards to R.J. Barrett um, this week when I was talking about the possibility of of trading out of three, whether it's to get Anthony Davis or to get, um, you know, to get just somebody else. And my thinking is this: it's like if if it's gonna be KD and Kyrie or um, Kemba or even Jimmy Butler, right? Like you need someone to be either Chris Bosh. Or Clay Thompson. So you either need one of the greatest shooters of all time, or someone who's like a really, really good shooter who also does other, other special things. Not I shouldn't say special things. His defense is really, really good. Um, you can't like it's not like you're building a defense around Clay Thompson. Anyway, you need a great shooter or a guy who's like I'll call Chris Bosh like the best garbage man in the history of the NBA because that's essentially the role that he played for Miami. He did all of the other. Things He was the glue that held that together. And I, I don't think Spo was lying when he said Chris Bosh was the most important player to what they did there over the course of those of those four years. I Couldn't you see Anthony Davis being an even better version of that, though? Or, and if he is, is that, is that not your best use of assets? Where, where do you stand there? Because I don't, honestly don't know where I stand on it. Anthony Davis's usage rate is so high in New Orleans that it's hard to tell how that would transition over. Because feasibly, we'd say, just do what you need to do without the ball, be like that Chris Bosh player. Maybe he doesn't want to be a third star. And then maybe those people who are saying they are concerned about Anthony Davis walking away, that's why we don't want to trade for him, that's merit to what they're saying. It's 
it, we, we don't really know what he wants. So there's a humble nature to it. Love kind of had to do it. Bosch certainly had to do it. I don't know if Anthony Davis wants to do it. I don't know if Anthony Davis sees himself as more than that and if that would irk him in any way. But strictly on paper, yeah. If you have someone who is a better version of Chris Bosch and is willing to make that type of sacrifice, he's the perfect player to do. And, and I guess the complicating factor here, really, the so this is all of this is intertwined. The complicating factor here is really Kyrie, right? Because it's like of all the guys in the NBA that you couldn't picture taking a step back, maybe for the betterment of the team. Like hell, even Steph over the last three years, right, has taken a step back to try to accommodate KD and make KD feel like he's, you know, it, it's, he's a, obviously an important part of that offense. And then obviously we've seen of late, he just flipped the switch and he's back to being stuff again. I don't, like, does Kyrie even have that in him? Does he want that? I know this year as being the guy in Boston obviously didn't go well, but with, I... I I don't know, man. I just, if it was like Kemba, I'd probably feel a lot more comfortable with the idea of them, like those three guys, like an AD, KD, Kemba sharing the load. It's just something mm -hmm. about KD and Kyrie, man. I Something tells me that the other guys on the court are not going to see the ball a ton if it's right. those two guys. Well, I know with Kyrie, you know, people say well, he got what he asked for. He didn't really. He requested a trade out of Cleveland for two reasons. One, they had already tried to shop him, and he wasn't too thrilled about that. But two, he knew that LeBron was eventually going to leave, and he didn't want to be stuck in Cleveland at that point. But, you know, about in terms of being the man, he didn't really ask for that. He asked for a trade and listed four teams that he'd like to go to. Yeah. And Boston wasn't on that list. And he instantly became Boston's best player, but... You know, I mean, it's a very different situation if it's um, Kyrie Irving and LaMarcus Aldridge in San Antonio. Yeah, I know. It's, You're right. It's just so hard to figure out what he wants if he needs to be that number one guy. Because if he, do, if he does, then there are other places. Like Brooklyn is a perfect place for him to go. Uh, even the Clippers, maybe. Who knows? So... Even though that might not be the best fit for him, the point being, if he's looking for something where he could be that guy, it wouldn't be New York, especially if you've got Durant, who's also trying to be that guy. It's it's funny. Hearing you talk about this, I've spent a lot of time thinking about who is patient zero of the summer of 2018 in the NBA. And part of me thinks it's AD, and he's the first domino. Part of me thinks it's KD, and that he everything falls from him. Now you're making me think maybe it's Kyrie. Maybe Kyrie is patient zero. That would yeah. that would be appropriate. <laughs> um, by the way, Chris Bosh's usage rate his last year in Toronto was twenty eight point seven. Uh, his first year in Miami uh, was twenty three point five. So his wow. us usage dipped by five percentage points, which is significant. And his last two years was actually twenty two point seven, twenty two point six. Anthony Davis's usage rate last year was twenty nine point five. So a little bit higher than where Bosh was. Bosh was his last year. In Toronto, um, I don't know. Uh, I honestly don't know. Um, I, well, yeah, sorry. I'm at the point where I even wonder if the Knicks are seriously considering Kyrie, unless Kevin Durant says, "I need him, go get him." And the reason I say that is, well, it's a few things. One, big on culture um, is what that's what the Knicks have been. That's not to say that Kyrie would be terrible for the culture. We honestly don't know. We only get snippets of what is visible to reporters or uh, things that might leak. It's very hard to tell. So again, not saying Kyrie's bad for the culture. It's just from some of the things we've heard, we maybe are wondering is that, does he align with what they're building? Um, and the other thing, I think what's more pressing is that the Knicks seemingly have gone for two main things with what they're after. Uh, the first is athleticism. Yeah. Kyrie is absolutely athletic. I think anyone who would say he's not athletic would be lying through their teeth. But the second thing is also defense, and the Knicks didn't practice what they preached towards the end of the season. Of course, we've been over this, that roster, it's kind of hard to do. But with Kyrie, it also makes me wonder, are they willing to invest $32 million in that guy who that's maybe not his first mindset? And you know, maybe KD's is to score versus play defense, 
But KD can do it at such an elite level compared to Kyrie, who's very good, mind you, that maybe that's just not their guy. Yeah. Like, like maybe it's the sort of situation where they're so much more interested in pairing Kevin Durant, a true franchise game changer, with Anthony Davis, another true franchise game changer, and not Kyrie Irving, who is a very, very, very good player. That's I'm I'm happy you said that because well let's get this out of the way if if Kevin Durant I, I mean for all we know he already has done this or what he will in a week or a month or whatever um, if he says yeah I'm, I'm coming just you know as long as Kyrie can come with me I mean that's there is no there is no discussion mm-hmm. um, right we I think we've said this a few times throughout the season I think what you brought up is really interesting. The idea of trading for Anthony Davis um, and maybe not giving up the haul that everybody expects um, and you you trade him into some of your cap space and then you sign Durant and those are your two guys and you fill out the roster with maybe you'll have, depending on what you end up trading, you'll have some cap room um, to... You know, to get a, a middling type of player, and then you, uh, you know, you keep some of your kids. I just the thing with that is, I don't think you're going to be able to do that because I think, I just don't think New Orleans will trade him for anything less than like, um, I think I called it the full the full sushi boat um, mm-hmm. in my podcast I did after the lottery. I, I think they're going to want everything. Um, it's just it, the one thing is that we're saying that. It's not so much of a vacuum. It's 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 really that – all right. So we know that there are competitors for Anthony Davis. Yes. But we don't know how how serious we should take them. You know, I mean this whole report of what Gail Benson said and then she said it was untrue. I think there is a serious no, I th- challenge. I, I, I think that's interesting. I think interesting. there's truth yeah. there. Yeah. Because they, it's a very entitled Laker way of you guys don't really have a choice. Anthony Davis is coming so we're going to give you this offer, and it's a good offer, but uh, we're going to go through with it. And that's I, that's the some, only way, right, is if right. the Lakers are out and the Celtics, by virtue of the fact that Kyrie tells them to go F themselves, they're out too. And then at that, But then at that point, I, if I'm Griffin and the Knicks are then like standing there trying to lowball me, don't I tell the Knicks to go to hell and uh, I'll just keep him? you know, I'm not going to trade him? And, and then, yeah, but then at that point, if you're the Knicks... How long can you afford to wait around? Because then, it again, it, it, it all this stuff is tied together. Because then if you try to sign KD, does again, does he request that you you um, absolutely make sure somebody is there with him from day one? Does he not want to take the chance that maybe you will trade for Anthony Davis later? And then if you do sign that second guy, then the only way you're getting Anthony Davis is to give up the full sushi boat and all of your kids and and probably you know some draft picks as well. I, I let's let's talk about the money for a second because this ties into all that. So I think you know the the, the salary cap situation pretty well. Do you want to kind of let's talk first about this? Why can't they do this trade actually and execute it um, on draft night? Can you? Or do you want me to explain that? Are you, are you good no, I, that's fine. Yeah. So a lot of the salary for New York is expiring, and you can't trade expiring salary. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty much the biggest thing that would be a hindrance. Of course, you could also then just say, well, what about the fact that the Knicks just have to spend $21.6 or $5, million to trade for Anthony Davis? And they could do that. It would mean trading pretty much their entire farm, so to speak. Um but then you don't have enough money to sign those two big players if you want them in free agency. So really the best path to – the only path to a big three without anyone making a financial sacrifice is you sign Durant, you sign Irving, Walker, whoever you want to put in there, and then you trade for Anthony Davis. But based on the rules and also the fact that the salary cap will increase, trading for him just can't really happen until then. Yeah, and the other two really quick things. So we should point out Anthony Davis does have a um, uh, trade uh, bonus, I guess you'd call it. A no, uh, it's a trade kicker, which of fifteen percent. So he would have to waive that um, for one, and that saves about four million dollars. 
the other part of it, which is is not insignificant, is the salary of R.J. Barrett in order to make all this money work um, would need to be included in the trade, which means the Knicks actually have to sign him. And then once they sign him, they can't trade him for, uh, what is it, 30 days, I think? 30 days. 30 days. So do the math. Even if they signed him, like, you know, the day after the draft, which probably isn't going to happen, you're talking about realistically late July, early August when you could actually pull the trade off. And and we should just say for that to for the money to work, for them to be able to sign two max guys and then make the Davis trade, it's it's Barrett, it's DSJ, it's Frank, it's um, it's Knox, and I I think that still leaves them and Mitch. And it still leaves them a little short. Mm-hmm. Like I want to say it's like eight hundred thousand dollars short um, because of the, by virtue of the fact that they got the third pick and not the second pick or the first pick. So then you're talking about throwing in um, like a Dotson or a Trier or do you guarantee one of these non guaranteed contracts that's on the books for that could be on the books for next season and then. But then, obviously, you don't have as much to spend for your two max salaries. So then, you're hoping one of those guys takes a little bit off the top. It's it's complicated and it's not easy. And again, as you pointed out before, the key thing in all of this is that, like you're making moves, assuming that there are other moves coming down the pike. Um, yeah, and there might not be. So, and I know this would break your heart, but the Knicks could, if they did it before or on draft day, they could guarantee and trade Lance Thomas' salary. I just don't see them doing that. Well, but if they do that, then they, then they don't have, then they don't have the double max space, though. Right. In which case, what they would want to do is say, if one of the guys doesn't go with, or two of the guys, based on whatever the financial aspects are here, they could always flip that player for a future asset. Yeah, and, um, and I, sh- I guess the the thing that we should actually say explicitly, which we've kind of been dancing around this whole time, is if they essentially treat Davis as the second max um, or like the second big guy and they don't worry about that second max spot, it opens up a lot more avenues to try to be able to um, get creative in taking him on. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, New Orleans also has some, um, uh, let's say, uh, unwanted salary, I think in the form of Solomon Hill. That's a pretty awful contract. Um, maybe taking him on means you don't pay as much. But it, again, it all goes back to what the Knicks, what the Knicks want to do, and what they feel like they they need to do. Um, man, I just at your core, do you do you want to trade for Anthony Davis? Like just like yes. as a fan, like do you want? If to trade I for if I know that Kevin Durant is coming, I trade for Anthony Davis. Yeah, I just I that's the thing I keep coming back to. It's like I get it, and every every day on Twitter I have people like saying to me the thing that I feel like I should be saying, which is that for fuck's sake, for twenty years, for twenty years we've been staring at other organizations doing things the right way, and now we have it a, a, a platter in front of us. Here, do it the right way. Just you know, hold on to your youth. Hold on to your cap space, or sorry, hold on to your your picks. If free agents want to come here and sign on the dotted line, great. But let that be it, and just cont- do it both ways, basically at once. Um, and I get that, and I get that. But how do you? I, I just I know my NBA history. I think is what it comes down to. It right. And it's yeah. Like, you know, it's like if you think, if you truly believe Anthony Davis is going to be what his talent, um, you know, dictates he could and probably should be, which is like uh, top 20 player of all time, top, I don't know, top 15 player of all time, You and you pair him with another top 10, 15 guy in his prime. I just, NBA history says if you get two of those guys, you win a championship. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and then if you add in depth of, say, Patrick Beverly or... Um, Marcus Morris, any of you know, you could do both of those pieces, and you could even get more guys if you needed to, and you're still keeping a, a decent amount of your core, so that when those guys get older, you have something that's there, and then you have maybe other assets 
that didn't go in the trade. Maybe one of those Mavs picks turns into something that didn't go along. It's just I'm I'm flabbergasted and furious when Oof. I see people Whoa! who Fire. are online and basically <laughs> say that they don't want one of the best players in the NBA. And the reason it bothers me is because, yes, the, I, have, I have faith in what Perry and Mills have been doing. They've been doing a great job. We only have a very small sample size in terms of what progress looks like. But if you were to tell me right now, you could either have two of the best players in the NBA right now. In, yeah. One's in their prime, one's about to be. Or you could have a young gaggle of, of players that maybe could be something. You went with gaggle. There was a, <laughs> there was a lot of directions you could have gone there, and you, that's the one you... That's I, the one. That's you know what? One. I that You made a choice. You committed to it, and you went with it. I had to. I, I couldn't it. not... No, it was I great. Stop. It, I, you know, it, it came to mind. I it, saw it in a tweet from someone <laughs> earlier today. It was fantastic. It, you know, I, it happened. We, we've grown from it, but <laughs> right, I don't so understand... Why people would pick the second? I do understand. Okay, I understand why people would pick the second one, but it's kind of just like you need to build a house. And would you rather strike down the mighty oak tree? I don't know what fucking is good wood for houses. So let's just say oak tree. Just chop down the incredible oak tree that you can get for a really cheap price, or or you can get it's affordable. I'll say that. Yeah. Or would you rather take? seeds and plant them and hope that they grow into something um and you'll just like live with whatever shelter you can make until those grow and then you have more wood at your disposal i get it if that wasn't a great analogy point still is that worked it's kevin durant it's anthony davis and and i'm gonna say something that is very controversial and there's a reason why i didn't tweet it and there's a reason i'm not gonna write an article about it because i will get flamed for it without being able to logically present an argument why and I think you know what I'm about to say. Oh, goodness. Here we go. If it absolutely came down where Mitchell Robinson was between a deal happening and not, based on certain circumstances, I would trade Mitchell Robinson. It's it's not an accident that an ambulance of siren... It is so not. that was Because it was such a hot take that the fire department is coming to actually just, just shoot water all over. It's, I've set everything on fire. Yeah. Here's Let me the, ask you. No, yeah. Well, all right. When I look at Mitchell Robinson, I see what could be a game-changing player. When I look at Anthony Davis, I see a game-changing player. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Sure. We know how much or how little Mitchell Robinson's making, right? Yes. It's incredible. What is the most that you would be willing to pay Mitchell Robinson in a season? Um... If it, so, I think it's too early to say that because if he if he develops this jump shot that um, that we we hear is a thing, um, then I I don't then I think he becomes a player for whom a max contract um, is under underpaying him. If if that's the case, I mean, if he's like if he's a guy that is like a you know a Joel Embiid um, level three point shooter even, and Joel's not a good three point shooter, but like he people you know they keep biting on the pump fake as as he says himself. I don't know why they do it, but they do it. Um, if if that is a part of Mitchell Robinson's future, um, then yeah, he's a max player. If it's not, and he's just basically a, a, a hopefully better version of Clint Capella, um, you know, he's a He's a fifteen to twenty million dollar a year guy in the league, um, but again, you're not paying him that for for two. Well, it could be three years, but they they'll do what Denver did with um, Jokic, and they will do away with the last year of his contract, so he could they could keep his restricted free agency rights, and and that will happen in two years. Um, before I go on my on a small rant of my own, what what was your what was your next point? I don't want to cut you off. Well, that's exactly what I was going to go for with the whole Jokic aspect of it, where if the Knicks don't get someone, you know, we could say that's fine, keep growing. But cap space gets really tricky at a certain point. Yeah. And then you're left with building your organic team like a lot of fans want, and that's totally fine. 
but your real the margin of error is pretty much gone. If it's and I, if it's two years out though, if it's two years out, and all of the guys on the Knicks like, you know, I know Dotson is is going to be restricted next summer. It's it. I don't think it's as big a concern as it could be. Can we right. agree on that? Yes, although it it takes cap space can disappear really quickly. And no, you're right. My favorite example of that is the Minnesota Timberwolves because I think the Wolves had a really great idea. They were really smart to trade for a player like Jimmy Butler. Problem is that they gave away Zach Levine, who is a really good player. They didn't give away Andrew Wiggins, signed him to a monster yeah, contract. That, exactly. Now the Carl Anthony Towns deal is going to kick in next year. And before you know it, next year they're committing $54 million to those two players. And don't forget about uh, Jeff Teague for $19 million a year. And Jeff Teague. And Jimmy Butler, they got something back, but they lost value on it. No, they, they, they bumblefucked that up as, as not as badly as you could do it, but it, it went pretty poorly. I guess here's the thing when we talk about Mitch and why it's more than just – oh, I love this kid, I want to see him be in a New York uniform for the rest of, of his career. And while that is true, um, that's you don't make decisions. Obviously, as a team, you can't make decisions on, on, on that type of stuff. You have to make the most prudent team-building decisions available to you. The thing with Mitch that's interesting to me is that, it get, and it gets that's why I wanted to bring up the whole someone needs to be Chris Bosh thing. Because if if Mitch can be essentially, let's say, 90, uh, 90%, 95% of what Anthony Davis can be as a defensive player, and I'm, that's, that's giving Mitch a lot of credit for, you know, because for as much as we love the blocks, he's still rusty in a lot of areas. Um, so we're, we're you're counting on a lot of progress. But let's just say they project him to be that. Then, like, does it really, really, really make sense to give up that asset that's going to cost this much, this little, over the next two years? Um, when you're considering, all right, what is Anthony Davis? Re- what do you really need him to do for you on the other side of the ball um, on offense? And is it just better to to stay with Mitch? And I think really what what the what this leads to the other part of the discussion, which is that like how much does New York really need to? How much do they care about keeping Dennis Smith Jr. around? Right? Mm-hmm. How much do we care about keeping Kevin Knox around? How much do we keep? Uh, uh, God forgive me. How much do we really care about keeping Frank Nilakina around? Um, you know, these are the more interesting questions and related. And this will get us into the next thing I want to talk about. I I would be much, 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 much more comfortable being like, let's just go with KD and, and the point guard of his choice, keep all the kids here, um, and, and draft someone with this number three pick, and let's, let's just go, let's roll with that. Have Mitch be the center, grow, um, it's going to work out well. I would have so much more confidence in that stance if I thought R.J. Barrett was a better fit with the guys that it looks like we're going to be signing this summer. Mm-hmm. And that's why I can't get the Anthony Davis idea out of my head because I just I don't see that fit. Do you do you see it with RJ Barrett and the and and specifically Durant and like a semi-ball dominant point guard? I don't see it at all. I think it's a terrible fit. I was really prepared to get the 5th pick and as a result I was thinking that's great, you know. Maybe you get a DeAndre Hunter or a Brandon Clark-type player who fits that athletic, defensive mold where they don't need the ball in their hands, but they can shoot it. Hell, even Jarrett Culver would be an option there. And Barrett, that's just not him. He's a great scorer, and I think he can be a fantastic player. But in this game, it's all about complementing your best players. And adding a scorer around Kevin Durant and... Kyrie, Kemba, whatever. That's not what they need. And especially if he's not able to contribute for a contender, let alone for an NBA team. Now, there's a difference between being a project, um, in which case you're maybe more like a Frank Nilakina or a Kevin Knox, where you really need that seasoning where you're probably not even going to be NBA ready in a lot of areas for a year. But then there's also like, okay, well, 
you can play in the NBA. You clearly have shown some sort of talent. But can you win? Can that correlate to winning basketball? And I guess Knox would, would when he was playing well, would kind of fit into that category. And then there's a the third of are you ready to play winning basketball? Not just be NBA ready, but play for a team that needs the wins. And that's a really hard responsibility to put on a rookie. It's exactly why with John Morant and all these people are saying, you know, sign John Morant and then uh, – or draft John Morant and sign these other guys and boom, you're good. And to me, it's like, well, how many rookie point guards do you know that have taken a team that is that good and and succeed in the playoffs after oh. an 82-game season and then having to do all this intense work that they've never – done before and they're very green how, how long is that list the like <laughs> it's short it's if existent whoever i'm assuming it's going to be memphis like who i i think john Morant could be a very nice player i'm, I'm not particularly high on him anybody who's followed follows me on twitter kind of knows that the idea that he is going to be a, a good winning player next year is it's it's I mean, I kind of want to say it's absurd. People will get really mad at me, I'm sure, for saying that. But that's the word that comes to my my mind. Um, that he needs a lot of work. Yeah, and um, there's a reason why the Grizzlies are going to love him because they because they're going to get to keep pick. their pick. <laughs> exactly. So they're going to be the Knicks of of next year. Yeah. They're probably going to trade Conley. To, I think Indiana would be a fantastic fit. It's where he's from. They have all the cap space. They have the assets to do it. They'll trade him or Utah, wherever. It doesn't matter. They'll trade him. They can bottom out so hard to the point where they keep their pick no matter what. Because as we're seeing, being risk-averse is the best way to tank. Um, yes, I, I agree. It's funny you mentioned Morant. Um, so Morant, of, of everybody that's going to get drafted in like the first round, or um, maybe not everybody, but um, yeah, I think pretty much everyone that's going to get drafted in the first round, he had the highest usage rate. He had one of the highest usage rates in college basketball this year. A lot was made about the fact that he had the ball in his hands, you know, all the time, and and um, kudos to him for that. His usage rate this year was 33.2. R.J. Barrett's usage rate was 32.2. Mm-hmm. So to your point that you made a minute ago, um, it's, it's not that he's a scorer. He's a scorer that needs the ball in his hands to be effective. And um, I, I his... Uh, three-point percentage uh, at Duke. I want to make sure I don't screw it up. Yeah, 6.2 attempts per game, 30%. Um, and that's from the college three. And you look at his free throw percentage, you're like, eh, free throw can maybe, you know, um, spell out uh, what, a, what a guy is actually going to be as a shooter at the next level. Well, 66% from the line. So I'm looking at all those numbers, and I'm thinking to myself, man, what... I am I have a pretty good idea of what a KD-Kyrie tandem is going to need around them next year. And this guy does not does not sound like it's going to be it. And I, I know there are Knicks fans out there who are listening to this and they're going to be like, you make that sacrifice um, because of what he's going to be eventually. And then you have your cake and eat it too. But you have your win now players that'll help you win now, and then you have your win later players like develop Barrett. But I think of Boston when I think of that. They tried to have their cake and eat it too, and how's that going to work out? It yep. seems you know? that was the second example. I was going to use Minnesota and Boston. Yeah, Boston, especially from an asset standpoint, where it seems like we always hear about this treasure trove of assets, and look what's happened. Yeah, Kyrie could walk. The players have lost value. I think it was JB who had an article from a couple of years ago, and I could be getting it slightly – it could be a little bit off here. But I, he said something about how these assets in terms of draft picks are like cars, and you have these brand-new cars when they start, and as time goes on, they can either be old or they can be vintage. And it, I thought it was great. I thought it was a really awesome analogy. Because it's, yeah, you're telling me right now that some of the players on the Knicks, are they vintage or are they old? Mitchell Robinson's vintage based on everything we've seen. I don't know how many other, maybe Damian Dotson, but then again, based on his contract situation you know, after this year, his, does he lose value the moment he locks into a longer-term deal? And I'm just concerned that the Knicks don't parlay some of those assets into better assets 
and or just stay where they're at and the assets erode over time. And our, there's a very good chance that people they, – they may not want to admit this – that R.J. Barrett's value in the NBA is the highest right now it, than it will ever be. It could be. And, and I think ultimately this, this decision is going to come down to the fact that do they think he is you know, a James – does he have a James Harden ceiling? And do they think that they're the team – to get him there, because if you think that, then yes, you take you 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 figure it out. You know, yeah. despite despite everything we both just said, if you think that is what R.J. Barrett is, you figure it out. Um, but just, I guess, more generally speaking, it, it comes down to a very simple truth: if you're signing Kevin Durant and another max player. You are doing so to win a championship. I know that sounds like the most obvious thing in the world, so why am I making the point? Well, I'm making the point with because if you're signing those guys to win a championship, then you need to give yourself the absolute best odds to to win a championship. And this idea, the, the, the idea of keeping the kids and nurturing the kids... And I like this idea too. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside also. Mm-hmm. Believe me. That idea is a nice idea, but it is not actually the best way to maximize it, it I shouldn't say it isn't. It probably isn't the best way to maximize maximize your odds. It might be, but like, you know, is that is the is the Knicks young core right now plus Durant and Kyrie? This is ultimately the question. Is this young core right now with those two guys, are they gonna win a championship in the next four years? No. I think they'd be very good, really damn good, but I don't think they would be able to do it because you're really basically saying we've got one year, maybe two at best, where the older guys are still in their prime and playing at an elite level and the younger guys are just rounding that corner. And I'm sorry. I don't want to take that chance because to me that's just – that's pretending. It's not contending. And I, it's just – it's frustrating to have to – do that because I as well love the idea of nurturing these these group of kids and having them exceed their homegrown. It's all of this, but you can't be half pregnant. <laughs> you just can't if you're committed want, to winning. Uh, like if you get Kevin Durant and another star player, and now you're saying, "Well, I, I'm really focused on the present, but I also am really holding on to the future." You can't do that. You have to take the jump. And that's the thing. The, the jump into just, pregnancy. You have to be all the exactly. way pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Either wear the condom or just get pregnant. Yeah. So I just don't like this idea that there can't be a medium ground because I think there can be. I think if you're trading your R.J. Barrett, maybe your Mitchell Robinson, your Kevin Knox, if you trade like those types of guys over, get Anthony Davis and fill out the rest of the roster with the, you know, the Beverly, the Morrises, those types of players – you're doing exactly what you're trying for. You've got that win now team. You are you're maximizing your window, however brief it might be. And let's also not forget Anthony Davis is only 26 years old. Yeah. So trading for him isn't like, oh, we've acquired a 30-year-old. No, you've got a guy who even after the second year of his contract is going to be 29 years old. That's incredible. Um I just realized a couple things. One, I think you made the second condom analogy on this podcast in the span of two months. Um, yeah. So, no, kudos to you. Um, that's first of all. Uh, second of all, um, I just realized that you have essentially used this podcast as a 45-minute infomercial for why <laughs> the Knicks should trade for Anthony Davis. And I feel a little dirty, and I'm probably going to need to take a shower now. Um, third, um, I, I want to – I guess we'll, we'll end on this. I, I pitched the idea, and I almost got my head chopped off collectively by, by Nick's Twitter um, yesterday um, and earlier this week, um, of trading uh, the pick, whether by itself or in conjunction with other stuff, uh, for something other than Anthony Davis. And I just, do you, th- again, if, if you were... You need the second star. Assuming they're going to get the second star in free agency, do you think that there is um, a trade that would make sense for you that you've thought of, or do you, like do you think that the idea of trading this pick is is an idea that you would 
um, that you'd be up for in, in lieu of everything else that we talked about tonight? It's really hard to figure out who that third piece would be while balancing the financial aspect and also uh, can you get that win now guy? How much is it going to be? Maybe it's a bunch of different players. I've thought about it. You know, I don't see the Raptors trading Siakam. Although I think RJ Barrett being in Toronto would be a really great way to rebuild if Kawhi leaves and if they felt they're going that route. Um, other than that, you know, I mean, you look at Doncic is not going anywhere. It needs to be similar salary. Can I can I give you a guy? No, uh, sure. The names that that you're that you're thinking. Basically, I did the same thing as you. I thought about all the rookie contracts in the entire league, and you come up with the same answer every time. If a if a guy is good enough that you that you, at you as the Knicks think he could be your third guy, and he's still on a rookie contract. Guess what? You're you're not getting him for RJ Barrett. I think there's one name that's really interesting to me, and it's it's not um, Torian Prince. Although I like Torian Prince, and I think there could be a potential trade there involving the third pick. And, I have one as well. I'm going to let you go, and then I'm I'm very curious who you're going to think of. Uh, Josh Richardson. Interesting. Okay. And Josh Richardson was almost on his way to being an all-star this year, um, and then his season not went off the rails, but his season didn't finish as well as it started. I think it's interesting because he is signed at, I want to say he's signed for the next three years at 11. I know his salary is $11 million a year, um, and I, I believe it is. there are still three years remaining on it. Um, he is a guy that Fizz coached down in Miami, um, and he is, when you talk about like who is your ideal third guy, he is one of the best wing defenders in the entire sport. Um, he, he, he dipped just below 36% from three this year, albeit on over six attempts a game. Um, he was at 38%, almost 38% last year. That's my guy. Um, I've been a big fan of his admittedly. So to me, like RJ or the third pick plus something, um, you know, one of the, I, I guess it would have to be Frank or maybe it's Dennis Smith Jr. One of those guys. I don't even know if the heat would do that, but yeah. Um, who's your guy? Um, honestly, it's it's <laughs> it's Buddy Heald, and it depends solely. That's on interesting. I don't think the they other do it. Players. The reason I say Heald is because, so if you get Kyrie or Kemba, I wouldn't advise this. But if you get someone like Jimmy Butler, I think it's it's worth looking into. We're talking about basically someone who can slot in. Buddy Heald is a 26 year old player. He's still on a rookie contract, and he was one of, if not the best catch-and-shoot players in the NBA. His, I mean, his, open, um, his percentage on open threes was like um, a, a misprint this year. Yeah. Um, I forget exactly what it is, but it's, it's really freaking good. Yeah, and I know it's only for one year. And again, his defense matching up with a star point guard, it wouldn't work out very well. But... You know, you're thinking about a player who is so elite from doing one thing, which is this scoring aspect that we talked about, and just you know, it's it's well, I should say shooting, it's scoring. You know, yeah, like, no, you know, let's, scoring, let's what, be specific. 18, 20 points, yeah, shooting, right? But you're then able to re-sign him on that contract and restrictive free agency. It's not as big of a deal, although what I love about Josh Richardson, what you're saying, is because of the fact that he's under contract for. What three, four more years? Uh, it's yeah. I'm gonna look it up right now. I, I'm fairly certain it's three more. Yeah. So he makes. It's even better than I thought. So yeah, ten million dollars next year, ten point eight the year after that, and then um, oh, it's okay. So it's a little worse. He has a player option, which he'll I would imagine he'll decline for that third season. So you get him for two more years at uh, twenty one million dollars total. That actually right. uh, that make that that might give me. Might give me a little bit more pause, actually, that you don't get him for that third year. I don't know. I honestly don't even know if I'd do it. And again, so much of this, this entire conversation, this entire podcast, is like talking about stuff that the one piece of information that we need, actually, no, the two pieces of information that we need that we don't have are this. One, we don't know what the Knicks think of R.J. Barrett and his ceiling. And two, 
we don't know what they know about what getting AD, how that impacts their chances of signing Kevin Durant. What, can we agree before we leave that those are like the two pieces of information that are the most important things to know uh, that will like essentially dominate this entire summer? Yes, and I would say the linchpin on all of that is Kyrie Irving. Based on if he stays in Boston, what that does for Anthony Davis. If he comes to New York, what that does for Anthony Davis. If he goes to the Lakers, what that does for Anthony Davis. And potentially, if he decides to go somewhere else, does that does that mean that you that you don't have Kevin Durant in the bag? Because you know, I think that let's let's end with this. The scenario that we've I don't think we've ever talked about, but is definitely real. Is is there a chance that the Knicks can't get a second guy? That is um, of the let's say of the caliber that Durant would be comfortable with, and I guess the scenario in which this happens would be um, Kyrie stays in Boston. They then trade for Davis. Kemba takes the money, stays in Charlotte. Jimmy takes the money, stays in um, uh, stays in Philly, uh, or potentially goes to L.A. The Lakers and plays alongside LeBron James, just as feasible. Um, Kawhi goes to the Clippers. Um, Chris Middleton's like, F this. I'm winning championships in Milwaukee the next couple of years. Who, uh, Tobias Harris, um, someone, you know, either stays in Philly or, or takes somebody else's money. I mean, it's it's not it's not that inconceivable. Clay stays in Golden State. It's not that inconceivable, right? Yeah, I think it's a little silly to think that everything goes the way we want it to. Well, I'm not even saying everything. I'm talking about the, right, even the, even most of the things. The yeah. idea that like they need one. The way I I think of this, and again, which is it all it all connects. This is why you potentially sell out to get Anthony Davis because if you're staring this alternate scenario in the face, where it's like if you don't get the second guy, then then you don't get Durant, and then it's like, and you know what? There'd be a lot of Nick fans that would be perfectly happy to come out of the summer with. All the kids and R.J. Barrett and all your draft picks and the Dallas picks. And it's like, all right, let's keep, you know, and it's like, I feel like I, sh- I should be one of them. I I, 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 I think I want the full, I think I want the full, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Kit and caboodle. Nah, it's, I want something more creative than that. I want like the, um, I want the porterhouse. Yeah. You know, it's like I love White Castle. White Castle is like my favorite. It's my favorite guilty pleasure. <laughs> but when you're when you've had the porterhouse, it's like, or when you think about the porterhouse, it's like shit, man. Yeah, it's delicious. It's I mean, nice... so is the White Castle burger, but no, I ate some cream yeah. spinach and a little little garlic, little garlic mashed potatoes. It's um, it's a nice thing. Okay. Um, all right. The, we... the, one more thing is yes. that Anthony Davis does not have any control over where he's going. Every well, other this, player this year he doesn't. <laughs> this, right, I'm talking about this year. Every other player around him that's a free agent that would be a target has that control. By acquiring Anthony Davis, you are minimizing the risk at play. You know, you're targeting the one player who can't say no uh, to playing for you I'm, because he's legally I'm, obligated. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Jeremy. Your studio time has run out. The, the cameras are <laughs> off. The infomercial um, is over. Um, nuts i listen i hope i hope your call in number got you a lot of hits uh, uh before we before we go i think we we were chit-chatting for a few minutes so we could talk for like two minutes and still get this in under an hour roughly um it is six fifty one. um the final episode of game of thrones uh will air uh two hours and nine minutes from right this second that i'm speaking this and by the time people are are hearing this um where do you stand? What do you want to see happen? Oh, you know, I think the biggest laugh of all time would be if all these main characters die and at the end it's like lights are dim and then they raise on the Iron Throne and at first it's a silhouette and then it comes clear and then sitting perched on the throne in all of their splendor is Hot Pie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, uh, That's a hot take. Yeah, oh, sure. Hot, 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 hot I, take. Man, you know, I really, something tells me that Sansa's going to, like, little finger her way up 
to being on the Iron Throne, I just get the sense that one of John or Daenerys either has to die or will no longer be a part of everything. It's, just, it's like it's too perfect, even though it's clearly not perfect right now. Uh, and it's fun for anyone who's listening because you obviously know how it ends and I, I'm struggling to figure it out. But yeah, I mean, I could see Sansa in that situation but I, I or Arya, but I think Arya is not – that's not her style. She's like John in that sense. She's yeah. not meant to sit on the throne. Can I just say really quickly, I know – I know it – you know, it wasn't – it wasn't the ideal way to finish off the battle. But are we being a little too hard on Danny here? I mean, it's, really. Yeah, I think we are. I, I, I think, you know, she had a really tough go of things and didn't trust anybody because everybody, you know, screwed her over and, like, she was a slave and the whole thing. And she finally found someone. She let someone into her heart. And then what did that person do with her heart? He jumped up and down on it. All because, what, He she's his aunt? It's like, come on. Like, so, you know, hell hath, what is it? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? Is that it? Mm-hmm. Um, I I was raised by largely by, by a single woman. Um, you know, my, my, my dad was around, my stepdad was around, but really my mom had the influence. I see what, what, you know, women have inside of them. I get it, man. I have, I'm in touch with my feminine side. And when Danny was up there on that dragon, I was like, I feel you sister. You know, it's, (laughs) it's, it's, I, um, um, it's, it's all good here. Um, and, and who did she kill really? A few people. Yeah. One, maybe two. Maybe more than that, but in the grand scheme of things. Um, all right, well, we'll, we'll um, await this eagerly. Um, are you doing anything special for the final episode, or are you just, you know, sitting down on the old couch? Yeah, just going to be the couch tonight. Okay. Yeah, what about you? Um, we're going to do the the popcorn and gummy bear uh, double dip. So I don't know if you've ever if you've ever done this. When you actually have gummy bears and eat them at the same time as your popcorn it's you get that nice sweet and the savory at the same time and Mm. it's um it's quite delightful and we i reserve that for like marvel movies in the theater um and and like something like this so okay i'm more of a chocolate and popcorn i love the salt and sweet what you're talking about yeah gummy bears is a new one that because i'm so again i'm least to the chocolate feel but dude just give it a shot man it's it's yeah um, i won't knock it i i you you won't go back uh, i'm just I'm, it's it's dangerous though because then you're like every time you'll have one you'll kind of want the other um so it's it's like um it's pavlovian almost <laughs> i was about to make a comparison to something a bar manager um told me many years ago that I think it was over the line, even for this podcast. So I'm not going to say it, um, <laughs> but I will tell you off air. Um, we go. Uh, anyway, Jeremy, you've given an hour of your Sunday night's time. Uh, this was fun. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and we'll um, we'll get you back on here before too long. Anything you want to uh, plug or, or promote before we go? Yes, I actually either today or t- I'm sorry tomorrow. Well, I guess today. Um, or Tuesday, I have an article about Knicks fans thinking with the heart versus with the head. Ah. And a lot of it actually touches on our conversation. But just in, in the sense of trying to get an idea of which path to go on, is is there a right one or a wrong one, and how you can kind of blend the two together. So uh, much of it has been spilled through this hour, which I don't mind at all, because I have enjoyed talking with you about it. But yeah, it's uh, it's of that caliber. Um, I'm happy you spilled some of your guts on here. Um, I will absolutely look forward to reading that. I am looking forward to reading that because your stuff is always great. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for coming on. Um, thank you for listening out there. Um, we're going to try to ramp it back up to, you know, two-ish episodes a week from now until um, July 1st. My my hope is – I think this is the 92nd episode of this thing, which is unfathomable to me. But I'm, my hope is that maybe our the 100th episode coincides with um, like leading into midnight on July 1st. Although now they're doing it, what, 6 p.m., right? 
they, we can yeah. announce stuff. Yeah, so that'll be cool. Um, There's be always cool. um, what is it? The panorama? Not panorama. But or just if you're doing a live Periscope, that's what it is. Maybe like, I'm just wondering you doing Periscope at 6 p.m. If you'd have to be waiting for years, or it like you can physically capture your raw emotion from seeing whatever. No, I pops think up. I I know I wanted I want to. I want to memorialize the excitement or the heartbreak that will occur. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think I could do that. That double, uh, that double dip. All right, we're rambling. Um, Jeremy, you're the man. Uh, thank you, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will be back with you with another episode of the Next Film School podcast very soon. Uh, talk to you later. Good up.